0: Now, here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dromisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego.
1: All right, folks, hey, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170.
0: The Answer.
1: Hey, well, if you have legal matters that involve firearms, then you need to call Attorney John Dillon. If you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you just need to know that your guns are California compliant. Call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws, 760-642-7150. Or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com. Hey, before we jump into the show, yeah. uh, next Saturday, 226-22, mm-hmm. Painted, uh, pa- uh, Painted Gorge in Ocotillo-Wells are going to have a really cool event with San Diego County San Diego Off Road Coalition, and they're going to do a desert cleanup from eight to eleven, and a shooting session from eleven to one, and then the BLM is going to do a a hike. There's a weird great. yeah, I thought there was going to weird
2: be pause out there. Weird pause, Dave. <laughs> yeah, weird pause.
1: Yeah. So and uh, a shooting yeah, session. Session. Well, I had I didn't write. I was like
2: though. the uh, the Simpsons had. You remember that yeah, bit on the Simpsons yeah, where yeah. he goes, Ronald Reagan dies. Yeah.
1: His hair. <laughs>
2: yeah. You just did that.
1: So if you have if you anybody out there listening that shoots and does off road, just go to San Diego Off Road Call San Diego Off Road or S E O R C dot org and sign up.
2: Good organization. Yeah. Prize winner Rob Fernandez. You have a gun owners radio prize pack coming your way, which includes stickers, patches, and other goodies. Uh, congratulations. If you're listening and you want to win, join the Gun Owners Radio newsletter. Just go to gunownersradio.com, gunownersradio.com, and sign up for our newsletter, and uh, they'll enter you into a uh, pool of folks, and you might win a prize. Jackson, are you getting the newsletter?
0: Yeah.
1: Excellent. That's the easiest way to answer that. There one. you go. That's a. <laughs>
2: There you go. If, if now, if you don't want to now, if you don't want to sign up for it now after hearing that glowing review, I don't know what what'll do it for you. But. So, what's up, gentlemen? Joe, how's it going, man? It's going great. How did it's your first aid class place. go yesterday?
3: Uh, went very well. I think got a lot of great feedback from it. So, um, got a lot of great uh, ideas for how to evolve from there. But um, yeah, it, it seemed to go real well. Everybody was real happy with it.
2: What was the emphasis?
3: the uh, emphasis there was trauma. So um, mm. what we did with this one, this, and the idea of the class was to give you some skills or to give people some skills on, you know, what to do until the medics get there, be mm-hmm. that the first 10 minutes or if that's hours away. So um, we started out with a basic patient assessment. You know, what would you do when you come on the scene, scene survey, assessing the patient uh, patient in a uh, trauma situation. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to do uh, basic trauma stuff. Um, Broken bones, lacerations, chest injuries. Um, you gonna do traction another one? Splints. You gonna? Is this gonna be a regular thing? Yeah, and I think what we want to do, because um, we did this for, for four hours, so trying to keep it in in chunks of time where okay, it's good for people, it's useful. I can get enough information out to them. So based on the feedback, I think what we're gonna do is a part one, a part two. Because nice. there were things I didn't cover for time, you know, constraints, and thought about doing an eight-hour class, but then you got to deal with lunch at it takes up an entire day. And, and, you know, with my schedule now, um, I don't work, you know, like I'm working all this week, all day long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but then I'll have all of the following week off. And, uh, you know, for people that are working Monday through Friday, week after week, after week, yeah. Saturday and Sunday is precious. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so doing an eight hour class is a little bit, um, you know, challenging. You got to want it. So I think, um, breaking it up into a part one, a part two. Um, and just spreading it out that way uh, and keeping them the four-hour classes is the way we're going to go. So okay. we got a trauma version, part one, part two. Then we had the same thing with medical emergencies, dealing with you know the same idea, dealing with heart attacks, stroke, that kind of stuff. Do you guys uh,
2: so – what would, would you have, like 30, 40 people, something like that?
3: Uh, we had 20. So we limited 20 people? to 20. Yeah, because there's a –
2: That's pretty, a Glock store. So thank you, Glock store, for for That uh, was, yeah. It's a great supporting.
3: facility, and it's very cool that they support us like that.
2: Jackson loves Glock store.
3: And um yeah the thing with uh limiting it to 20 people is good cuz there's a lot of doing the hands on stuff you got to come up with splints and bandages and there's a lot of material to come up with. Yeah. So it works out perfectly about that size. Did
2: you guys see the uh the press conference with the governor on Friday? No. Yeah, he came down to uh San Diego to bash gun owners live. Mm. Uh so uh You do a good job. He oh, well, he did a great job of uh being anti-gun, yeah. Sure. He uh, yeah, so the whole thing and it was it was actually all over the news. Um, you can go to our website, go to our Facebook page, or um, you know check out our email, and you'll see the the clips on it. Um, but they they reached out to San Diego County gun owners because he there's a couple things he was particularly critical of a uh, I forget the manufacturer, but it, it was a Jr. 15, and uh, it's a 22 caliber <laughs> AR. I saw that, yeah. yeah and so he, he was a little, little cartoon picture on it. Little cartoon and he was oh my gosh he was he was you know clutching his pearls at how <laughs> horrible the idea that they're selling assault weapons to children.
3: Well, you know that that side <laughs> of the spectrum there has no sense of humor. There is no you can't laugh at anything there. Mm-mm.
2: Well, they just all they're doing is you know it's a it's a red herring. They're just trying to you know they they really don't have a case.
1: Well, they're not going to go after the root
2: cause no. of the problem. No, and they can't really explain what they're trying to do because what they're trying to do doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So they have to go with these emotional pleas. So all the news folks that contacted me were like, "Oh my, you know all these what, what do you think about all these gun manufacturers that are trying to sell guns to kids?" Well, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and the first thing, you know, and a lot of times so they just set the the, the premise, right? They just that—that's there. That's the we just accept that as fact. Mm. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back this up. What exactly are they doing? You know, and so you know you get to explain. You At
1: know? least they're calling you.
2: Well, yeah, it was wonderful. It was actually, uh, yeah, of course, you know, we've
1: done I a really, mean, really because you know other media outlets. They oh, that's it. Run with it. Yeah, no, we've done a really
2: good job of forming relationships with the local news folks. So when something like this happens, we're the first people they call, Mm -hmm. which is great. Right. Um, And and they, uh, all of them said, yeah, okay, great. You know, they let us set the story straight, which is great. You know, it was a huge, I still think it's a huge mistake over the past 20, 30 years that gun organizations, um, you know, uh, said, hey, we're going to ignore the liberal media can't do it. We're going to ignore the liberal media. Okay, fine. Well, th- what that means is that you're going to let them say whatever they want mm-hmm. unopposed, mm-hmm. uncorrected. Mm-hmm. And we decided, you know what? We're going to concentrate on engaging with local media. So we do it all the time. And, and they like
1: it. I think they do, you know. Because they want to hear the true media want to hear both
2: sides of the story. They want to hear both sides of the story, but even the media that isn't so true. Let's mm-hmm. say that they're not exactly after the truth. You haven't gotten a call from CNN yet. <laughs> no. But but the ones the, their big motivation is they like friction, right? So if they can call up one side and get a bunch of talking points and call up the other side and get a bunch of counterpoints, you know they like that. They like. But if the one
1: side talks, the other side doesn't. It's it's not it's right. Not worthy. Right. So um. So it, it which is what good. they do to conservative media. All well, the left will never call in. I mean, you'll never see Pelosi on the on Fox. I good good. You're probably no, you, right. I don't yeah. know. I don't even know.
2: I don't watch Fox
1: anymore. No, or, but I'm just saying. You, or CNN. You, or you, or oh. well, that was the only conservative station yeah. I could think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Outside don't know. of Newsmax, I
2: guess that's true. Although I don't know, it seems like it seems like some of the more conservative op-ed guys, like you know Hannity and Tucker and some of the ones that you think of, are more likely to put on a you know a left leaning politician. Than the, oh, le- yeah. than the left. like Well, they Rachel invite Ma- him all the time. yeah like I, I, Rachel I Maddow it. is less likely to have a, a Republican than Hannity is to have a Democrat. She had to take a break. Yeah, I heard that. She can't do it. I heard no she bit. went on sabbatical or whatever. <laughs> yeah, wore her out. She's totally burned up. She can't. Yeah, she's just crushed. I don't know what I'm going to not watch then because I used to not watch her. Now I
1: can't, uh, now you now really I can't, can't. not watch her because yeah.
2: she's not on. That's too bad.
1: Hey, folks, <laughs> don't touch that dial. We have one of the greatest firearms and self-defense instructors on the planet. He's also an author. Masood Ayub is going to be calling in right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961
0: AM 1170. The Answer.
1: Radio FM 961
0: AM 1170 The answer Mossad Ayav is next
1: <laughs> See, he does as good as I do <laughs> Self-defense and emergencies can happen to anyone and there's no guarantee that the justice system will be on your side. Make sure you are protected for the legal battle after your self-defense battle While you protect your family and property, U.S. Law Shield is here to defend you 24-7, 365 days a year with a comprehensive self-defense coverage at an affordable price. Bad guys don't take days off, and neither does our coverage. Hey, listeners, you can get a free t-shirt when you use the code GUNOWNERSRADIO. Sign up today. Go to uslawshield.com. All right, Masada Yub, the GOAT, the greatest of all time,
2: American Firearms and Self-Defense Trainer, Second Amendment advocate, handgun editor of Guns Magazine, and president of the Second Amendment Foundation is our guest. Um, Massad, are you there? Uh, how, are you? how are you? Good. It's so great to hear from you. How is everything?
4: Uh, doing well.
2: So, those of you who haven't heard of Massad, he is kind of the one, he was one of the first really big, uh, uh, like, published trainers, somebody that really kind of you know, one of the, one of the first, uh, that really fleshed out the kind of the, the art and science of, of, of firearms training. What'd you say? Am I, am I putting that right, Joe?
3: Yeah. And even well beyond that, uh, what he's, uh, really well known for too, is his, um, his expertise in the court and that yeah. he's a well-known expert witness and has been for a very long time. He's got several books out about the use of, uh, defensive, um, or, uh, the use of deadly force and, uh, various self-defense things. So, um, pretty much a legend in the uh, gun community.
2: Hey, you know, right before you came on in our last segment, we were talking about media and, uh, you know, we've done a good job. San Diego County Gun Owners has done a really good job of, uh, connecting with local media and being a source for media. And I, I made the point that I think for about the last 20, 30 years that a lot of the, uh, gun organizations have, uh, have taken the wrong approach and, uh, you know, and it's a big blanket statement. Some have done a great job. Some have, some have not done a great job. But there's been this this kind of, hey, you know what? We're going to ignore the media. We never get a fair shake on the media. Therefore, we're going to leave it alone and, and just kind of have our own our own information channel for people to find. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? What are, your, what are your thoughts on the Second Amendment and advocates and getting the message out uh, when it comes to national media and local media? I still
4: think we have to reach out. Uh, second amendment foundation does certainly, uh, professor John Lott has had good luck doing so. It's an uphill fight, but if you keep looking, you'll find uh, people who are open-minded enough to listen to us.
2: I think you're right. Do you, now do you think that it, you know, I think there are some obviously, uh, you know, slanted or, or biased, um, folks in the media. I mean, that's not, you know, (laughs) that's not news. That's not a, a huge, you know, declaration, but, uh, I, I, it, you know, the the non op ed folks. I mean, there are some op ed shows where they're they're supposed to be giving their opinion, yeah. and you know, they're obviously biased. But the, the the actual anchors, the people that are really just there to cover the news, I, I don't think that there's so much pro or against guns or in general. They're really just trying to be dramatic, and they're looking for friction. You know, they're looking for two sides of a of a story that that that, that, that where there's a lot of friction. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Oh well, I think that's true, but at the same time, if we are upfront with them, if we're open with them, if we can give them good, strong sound bites that make sense,, uh, we can still make
2: our points with the media i, I agree and that the sound bo- knowing what they what they need and knowing how to deliver is i think <coughs> is is crucial. and the sound bar sound bite part is exactly right. If you can you know give little little bites, little little pieces, phrases, you know, of, of good and accurate information where, you know, you're explaining something in a simple way to, to kind of the layman, you know, people that don't go to the range every weekend.
4: Well, sure. It's uh, so, something that makes them think. Uh, one thing I've found over the years uh, as an expert witness in court uh, that also works, I think, with the media, is with the general public, the great majority of people who are in the middle and are not committed on this issue either way, if we can show them some allegory, some comparison of what we do with firearms to something they're already doing in daily life, it kind of rings a bell. Uh, for example, I've had really good luck explaining that the defensive firearm is a direct analog to a fire extinguisher. Mm. Now, if, if you went back uh, an old person's lifetime to, let's say, mid-20th century, Nobody had fire extinguishers in their homes. They, they might be required to be in places of business open to the public. Um, I remember my dad did. And if, if you remember back then, there were these gigantic brass and copper tubes, uh, that heavy as hell as I recall, yeah. uh, with a hose on them. And you had to take them down to the local fire station uh, every year to get them recharged. And I remember as a little boy going down with my dad uh, f- to do that for the first time and all the firefighters patting him on the back because he was the only one in the neighborhood who except for the firefighters themselves who kept one at home now fast forward to today You you won't find a home where there's not at least one fire extinguisher in the kitchen most people have them in their cars now as well and the reason is that you know that the public woke up to the facts of the time space continuum related to an emergency Now, whether it's the emergency medical service, the fire department, or the police department, when you have a life-threatening crisis, you have to survive long enough to call it in. Dispatch has to reach out to the appropriate agency, and the appropriate people have to be mobilized and cover the distance to get there. And the different studies uh, show probably a general average of about 11 minutes emergency response time nationwide. Now, people figured out if that fire blooms on the kitchen stove, if it's going to take 11 minutes for the professionals to address it, by that time, the entire home is involved, and probably anyone inside is dead of thermal burns or smoke inhalation. Hmm. But if there's a fire extinguisher right there in an instant, you can kill the thing in its nest, kill it right there on the stove, and all you've lost is a few hundred bucks in smoke damage and perhaps you need a new appliance. The defensive firearm is exactly the same analog. Now, it's it's an emergency safety rescue tool for first responders, and we have to remind the public they they call police and firefighters and paramedics the first responders. No, they're the first government first responders, <laughs> the the dot .gov first responders. In real-world emergency crisis, the first responder is the citizen who is there when the deadly danger immediately breaks out. And as soon as we can smother that fire on the stove, the better it to be. As soon as the individual can stop the threat of, let's say, the mass murderer with a deadly weapon, the home invader who's kicking down the door with a deadly weapon, the more innocent life is going to be saved. Uh, you and know, people I'm, people click with yeah. Those. I was going to say I, I'm already doing half of what you're talking about. I understand the parallel. I get it now.
2: And I've, I've noticed more and more in the in the last few years, especially last let's say five years, that the fire extinguisher comparison is getting a lot more popular. Whereas I think you know 15 years ago, people were you were talking about cars. You know they would kind of they compare guns with cars, and they what happens if you don't have a strong comparison, if you don't have a an accurate analogy, I guess, is people get really, really hung up on the differences. If there are too many differences between the two, they get really hung up on the differences rather than paying attention to the point you're trying to make. And I think there are far fewer differences uh, when you're comparing a fire extinguisher with a firearm. Um, so I think, it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a smart move.
4: Well, we all do, uh, you know, here, gee, you register your cars, why won't you register your guns? Yeah. And my answer is twofold. Uh, First, there is no well-orchestrated movement trying to confiscate our automobiles. (laughs) But second, you're saying you want to register the firearms uh, as a crime prevention measure. Yes, of course. And I ask them, do you realize the only people who would not have to register the firearms are the convicted felons? Look it up. For many, many years, the Supreme Court decision in Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S, if you want to look it up, Haynes versus United States, <clears throat> said you could not punish the convicted criminal, uh, the, the felon, for not registering his firearm, because doing so would violate his Fifth Amendment rights against mm. uh, self-incrimination. Mm. Interesting. And people don't realize it, they look it up, and they realize the other side has been lied to. Now, we're dealing with the court of public opinion, as both a police officer and an expert witness for the courts. I've had to deal with that jur- with the, the typical jury, but I also try to look at what I call the final jury, the jury of public opinion. My definition of a jury is it's a 12-headed creature. It has, if you add up all their IQs, they're going to come to way over 1,200. You'll have centuries of combined life experience, but above all, you'll have 12 separately functioning BS detectors. And you ask anyone who's ever done jury duty. If one side of the case lied to you and you caught them in the lie, did you believe another word they had to say? And the answer universally is no. Interesting. If we can make the public themselves catch the other side in their lies, that is incredibly powerful.
2: That's interesting. Well, you know that—that's why the registration thing. I mean, that's you know, the movie Shawshank Redemption is probably uh, one of the one of the strongest pro-gun movies out there because uh, Andy Dufresne would not have done time as an innocent man had he not had a gun registered to him, right? So that's <laughs> – I don't know if that's going to – I don't know how many minds that's going to change, but it's a pretty important point. Um, okay, so what? Uh, talk about uh, some of the things that uh, uh, Second Amendment Foundation has coming up. What do you, what's, the, what's the emphasis going forward, especially with the New York case – You know, something's going to happen in June regarding Kerry and and the New York case. What's uh, well, any uh, of us who
4: followed the arguments and listened to the questions of the questions of the justices, uh, it's clear that our side won the argument. Uh, If you look at it ethically, if you look at it just as a judge of debates, uh, a judge of the facts, our side won. Uh, I am guardedly optimistic, which is as optimistic as I ever get. <laughs> but
2: uh, well, let's talk. I'll so tell I'm you what, Masad. Let's let's, ago, but- let's go to a let's go to a commercial break, and then I really want to talk about this on the other side of the break. Okay?
1: All right, folks, you're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961,
0: AM eleven seventy. The answer.
1: folks, welcome back. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM
0: 1170. The
1: answer. Hey, does selling your home feel overwhelming? Well, it doesn't have to be that way if you use Scott Vinson from Cold Wall Banker Royal Realty. Scott Vinson is the perfect guide to help you sell or buy your, your home. Scott has also been seen or has been a San Diego County gun owner board member from the start. So if you're moving, let a fellow Second Amendment uh, supporter and real estate broker, Scott Vinson, help you sell your home and find you a new home anywhere in the United States. Give him a call at 619-948-2459. Tell him you heard about him on Gun Owners Radio. That's Scott at 619-948-2459. Or you can go online to scottvinson.com. That's V-I-N. S O
2: N. All right, we're talking to living legend Masada Yuv, and we were just talking about the New York case. that went to the Supreme Court. It is a carry case, so it has to do with your right to bear arms. Whereas the Heller versus DC case back in 2008 really had to do with your right to keep arms. And so this is a, a carry case that uh, we hope will uh, will frankly change the world. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't think that's I don't think that's hyperbole, Masad. Do you?
4: No, I don't at all. Uh, this is an equal rights case. If we go back and we look at history, uh, in the beginning of this country, one did not need a permit to carry a firearm if one was legal to own one. Uh, come forward into mid-19th uh, century uh, after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, we saw, that was when we really saw the rise of the uh, the carry permit system. Uh, primarily in these southern states. It was as if they were saying, oh my God, the blacks that we've oppressed are going to be free. Uh, we can't let them run around with guns because uh, you know they, they might take revenge for all that we've done to them. So we'll pass laws that you have to have a permit to carry a gun and we'll make sure we elect a sheriff to issue the permits who we'll only issue them to us. And if you actually look at the history of it, uh, that was absolutely the core of it. Yeah. Fast forward to 1911, the Sullivan Act in New York, which is uh, the, the cornerstone of the litigation we're talking about. Um, Big Tim Sullivan passed that law in, par- in large part to disarm Italians, uh, Irish, the, the, the immigrant poor that they saw coming into the city. Now, it, if you go back to, again, mid-20th century, by that time, there was only one state that was a vestige of original America, Vermont, that, didn't, that never required a permit to carry a gun in public. They simply forbade the practice to convicted felons and those who'd been determined to be uh, you know, diagnosed as mentally incompetent. Mm. Now, most states back at that time, with a few exceptions, uh, the state of Washington and the state of New Hampshire, were May-issue meaning that the law allowed the appointing authority great discretion as to who they would, to whom they would issue the permits. And not entirely, but for the most part, and very much in New York State, and most particularly in New York City, May issue became a code for, we'll give you the permit if you're white, rich, male, and politically connected. Mm. Uh, New York Penal Code uh, 265, allowed the issuing authority to establish the criteria and need. And the typical, uh, typically in New York City, for most of the time, you go to one police plaza, uh, New York City police headquarters, and you would have to show that at least once a week you carried $5,000 in cash, negotiable security, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. The rich could get it, the poor could not. If you are white, male, rich, and politically connected, you would get the permit. You know- now, over the years, we have seen a huge sea change in this, and honestly, fellas, I think it is the the greatest victory for our side in the overall picture of this fight. Um, you go back from the mid-20th century to today, prior to 1988, there were at least seven states where there was no provision for the ordinary person to get a license to carry a concealed gun. Today, there are none. Even the toughest states at least have some legal provision on the books, such as Hawaii, for example, or Maryland. Only a handful of states then were May issue. Today, the vast majority are. Only the one state, Vermont, had what many now call constitutional carry. Today, we are past 20 states where you do not need a permit to carry a gun. They follow that Vermont model. And the reason I like the term Vermont model, if you look over history, the state of Vermont has had a lower rate of violent crime per capita than any other, more often than any other state. So I think we've made great advances on the concealed carry front. And again, I am guardedly optimistic that when the Supreme Court comes in with their decision, we will have had a huge victory in that.
2: I hope so. You know, you were you were talking just uh, at the beginning of, of the uh, of, of, of what you, you were just saying was about how obviously it has racist brutes. And of course, they were worried that, you know, the the the, uh, the blacks that were slaves were going to have some kind of uprising and, you know, take some revenge against against them. And it got me thinking the first time I'd ever really thought about this. It's it's really kind of amazing that that didn't happen. You know, there really aren't, there may have been some skirmishes or whatever here and there, but there really wasn't a big uprising of former slaves against, uh, you know, the, the, the government or against, you know, uh, the people that were, that were enslaving them, which I think is a huge testimony to. Um, to, to, the, to the Americans that were, that were set free, that were former slaves. I, I well, don't know. It seems pretty else, amazing.
4: It's, tes- it's testimony to the trustworthiness and responsibility of the average American. Hmm. Now, we've seen in more modern times exactly the same thing. Every time a uh, shell issue concealed carry has passed or uh, permitless carry. The other side said there'll be blood in the streets, they'll be shooting each other over parking spaces, and every single time that failed to materialize. And that came out, if you followed the arguments in the Supreme Court in the case we're discussing now, and was very powerfully delivered by our side.
2: It was. In fact, they used San Diego. San Diego was one of the examples they used, because... uh... You know, uh, basically, uh, before 2017, you, you, you really, in effect, you really couldn't get a CCW in San Diego. And uh, after 2017, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we pressured the sheriff and now you can get a CCW. And uh, the attorney actually talked about San Diego specifically, saying that, hey, it's actually been a very successful program. And in fact... The same sheriff that was stopping CCWs from happening is now, he just stepped down a couple weeks ago, but uh, is very proud of his CCW program. It's really, really truly. And in fact, this is the first election in, I think, San Diego history, as near as I can find, that every candidate, every major candidate who's running for sheriff is not only pro-CCW, but they're kind of tripping all over themselves to get the CCW vote. So it's, that it's is
4: wonderful and it shows just how effective San Diego gun owners have been. You that group is a shining light for gun owners civil rights
2: nationwide. Well, thank you. that that means a lot. That's huge. but it, it it's also, I think it shows a not just a legal change or a, or maybe a public policy change, but a cultural change. You know, it, it, there's a, been an, an actual change in culture in San Diego, which I, I think if, if you get the right policies in place and you need to take the right steps to do that, that um, you'll actually have a cultural change. People will feel more comfortable uh, about the idea of, you know, having their, their fire extinguisher, you know, when they leave the house.
4: A threat extinguisher, as it were.
2: <laughs> threat extinguisher? I like that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I had a, uh, I don't know... A, I it I feel like this. Just switching gears a little bit, going going to training. Um, it feels like to me that there is there there are two kinds of of gun people. There are those that train and those that do not train. Um, and the ones that train, I feel are. Is it controversial or, or inaccurate to say that the ones that train are probably overtrained? That they probably um there's it's too much like, like, too specific situations they're there's they're they're training for situations that'll just they aren't even realistic they'll never happen and that those who aren't training you know are are not training at all like they really you know there's a need for and there's this huge chasm in between the two am i way off
5: uh
4: yes and i well, if I was a writing a response to an interrogator, I'd say agreed in part denied not in part. Uh, certainly, I advocate training. Uh, training is what I do for a living, so take that with, for, from whence it comes. Uh, the person who's trained in any particular instrument or any particular protocol for dealing with crisis will naturally have an advantage in dealing with it uh, over someone who is not. Uh, overtrained, I would not use that term. In fact, I'm finding it used in a controversial way in our business. Uh, some of the trainers use o- the word overtrain to describe having something so drilled into you that you can do it automatic pilot, like you know, blocking a punch or drawing mm-hmm. a pistol. And overtraining is not the word I'd, I'd use. I would say simply, you have achieved uh, unconscious competence, the, mm. the ability to perform the task without having to think about it. Uh, i I do feel a lot of people train for things that are not going to happen to them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I see some courses that are its just like you're training uh, Marines for house-to-house combat in Fallujah or something. And that's simply not something we'll be doing in this country. Uh, I joke with people, and I hope it's going to stay a joke, that to take one of my classes, uh, you've got to pass a one-question test. Uh, the movie, the TV show Walking Dead is A, a television do- uh, fantasy, B, a documentary, <laughs> C, a training film. If you answer anything but A, I'm not going to let you take
2: the class. Let, see, now, I actually, I refer to the movie Red Dawn as a documentary. So maybe that's, I'm not sure you'd let me in your class then. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, uh, as soon as you, so long as your tongue stays in your cheek.
2: (laughs) Well, and I guess my point is, I'm certainly not criticizing. If you want to take high-level training as a civilian, go for it. I'm certainly not criticizing. And I am maybe kind of criticizing people that don't take any training at all. Um, But I'm trying to figure out, how do we just bring up the average? You know, how do we bring up, uh, how do we get more people to take more uh, functional training? You know,
4: I think by doing it one on one, I tell all my students, "Look, most most you all know people who are armed citizens who are considering becoming so. They can't afford the thousand dollar tuition uh, or the for a two day class, even the five hundred dollar tuition that I charge. A whole lot of the folks who need it most, the the poorer half of America, who are, are more at risk. If we can reach out to them one on one." The people you know, take, budget a day to take them to a range. Budget a day to bring them over to your house, review some uh, some videos or even some free stuff on YouTube that you've vetted and you know it's it's the real deal, not BS. Yeah. Answer their questions. Take them to the range. Show them basic firearm safety hands-on, particularly with the gun that they own.
1: All right, sir. Well, that was awesome. As usual, can't wait for the next time you call in. How do people follow you, sir?
4: Well, I have a blog at BackwoodsHome.com. My training school, we teach around the country, including California, is com. That's M-A-S-S-A-D-A-Y-O-O-B.com. My work appears in every issue of Guns Magazine, American Handgunner Magazine, and Combat Handguns Magazine, among others. And uh, a lot of that is available online at GunsMagazine.com, uh, BackwoodsHome.com, as I said, and AmericanHandGunner.com, and TacticalLife.com.
1: All right. Very good. Look forward to interviewing you again down the road, sir. Take care, well, folks. See you, and keep up the great work you've been doing. Thank you. We appreciate that, truly. All right, folks, you're listening to Gun Owners Radio FM one. AM
0: 1170,
1: The Answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961.
0: AM 1170,
1: The Answer. All right, folks, you know, most companies waste a lot of money uh, on marketing. Well, the reason. Why is because they don't have a clear message. You're wasting money or if you don't have a clear message. So SageTree gets it. Since 2005, Sage Tree has been helping companies connect with customers here in the San Diego and across the nation. Contact them today to get a better return on your investment from your marketing dollars. Go to SageTree.com to learn a whole lot more.
3: I didn't get to say T, uh, TBD. Yeah, I, know. TBD. To that. I thought I'd give you a break. <laughs> Sorry, Joe.
2: Hey, so we're going to talk to uh, an interesting guy. He's a buddy of mine, Alan Chandler. He's with Lone Star Firearms Defense. That's how you have to say it. Alan, are you there? I am. How are you doing today, Michael? Good, man. I'm doing really well. You have to say it that way, right? You have to Lone Star. Don't you have to kind of... I don't know if that's... You can it
6: your life as long as you uh, realize we're priority the Second Amendment every time you say that word. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> lone Star Firearms Defense. Yep, we're here to help.
2: So Alan yeah, what is what a... Do, he, right? Alan's a firearms. Uh, he's a he's a, a, an attorney. Uh, tell him a little bit about your background.
6: Okay, so I'm an attorney, 35 years. Yep. I'm licensed in California and Texas. Um, I served 20 years in the military as an Army attorney and a field artillery officer. Um, I ran the Army's criminal law division. I ran the Army's criminal appellate division. I did that for 20 years, one month and six days, and then I left the service and became a prosecutor in Dallas County. I did that. I'm a defense counsel. I've traveled to 20 states, giving classes on legal self-defense. And um, I, I like the fact that you guys are, are listening here in San Diego and that you guys are putting out the word that we need to talk about what our rights are and, and, and protect those. And so we support that.
2: Nice. And what made you start Lone Star Firearm Defense?
6: Well, um, at the time we started it, um, a lot of rangers were reaching out and saying, hey, we've got a lot of folks who are new to guns. A lot of people signed up over the last couple of years. Um, and they don't really get um, the third part of knowing what to do with a firearm. The first part, of course, is figuring out how it functions and, and sending rounds downrange. And the second part is maybe if you're lucky, how to clean it. Um, but nobody really talks about what happens if you actually use it to defend yourself, to, to protect yourself. Um, and that's really important. Your legal self-defense is equally important, based on you know the current climate and condition we have here in the United States. It's equally important to defending your life, uh, pretending defending your finances, and making sure that. Um, you know, you don't go to jail for a lawful shooting.
2: Yeah, so in, in essence, what your your uh, what your services are is it's a um, like a like a legal defense um, insurance. I know it's not technically insurance, but uh, the idea is that if you get into any kind of self defense situation and you need an attorney. You guys will, uh, if you're a, a member of Lone Star, you guys will defend them, find the attorney, get them out of jail, do everything they need to, to restore their, their life, basically, right? Is that is that fairly accurate? It's pretty accurate,
6: yes. Um, we started as a Second Amendment company just to make sure that we put the word out. That's why we give these classes. Yeah. And then if you become a member and you support the Second Amendment and we want you to join Lone Star, um, then as an additional benefit of supporting the Second Amendment, we give you an attorney, basically. We provide you with a hotline number so that 24-7 you can call if you're in an emergency and, and get an attorney on the phone. We think that's super important.
2: Which is awesome, um, and I really appreciate it. And I, I, Alan, I've known you for years now, um, and uh, I get a, I can't say enough good about, uh, about you and your dedication, um, and I, it's very much appreciated. Now, you and I had a conversation I wanted to touch on on the air here. You and I had a conversation uh, about a month ago or so. Where I was asking your opinion on the Rittenhouse case, and and basically I made some comment on like, oh my gosh, the uh, prosecutor really dropped the ball. He really messed this up, and you had a very interesting take on it. Do you remember what you what, you, what the way you explained it to me? Why he did what he did?
6: Uh, I think we were talking about him pointing the weapon at the jury,
2: right? Pointing the weapon at the and? jury, and just kind of he, he he There were a he, bunch of bumbling. I mean, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Bunch of bumbling and and just kind of outrageous, weird behavior and claims and but yeah, one of the things was he 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 pointed the uh, the AR at the jury, muzzled the entire jury. But that, that's just one of like sure. ten weird things that he did. And I thought, man, how how much stupider could this guy get? How much more incompetent could he get? But then you had a very interesting take on why he did what he did.
6: Yeah, if a prosecutor is going to lose a case and and they're really impassioned about it, right? This is something you really truly believe in. And, and they, in the middle of the trial, realize we're in deep doo-doo. Um, some of them, and not the good ones, but some of them will actually tube the case, and so they'll go for a mistrial. So what he was doing with these outrageous um, comments and his co-counsel also, and then pointing the weapon at the jury with the finger on the trigger, um, that can only be designed to get the judge to, uh, you know, to get a mistrial. And if you get a mistrial, then it's like, oh, we'll dismiss the jury, we'll reconvene, and we'll decide whether to do another trial. In that particular situation, the prosecution was like, "Okay, we learned a lot of things from the defense during their presentation, and we saw the way they attacked our witnesses. So we get to scrub all of that, start over again. Now we know what the defense is up to, and we can attack their case through our case in chief." So uh, it's my belief he he knew he was going to lose, and he was becoming more and more outrageous to see if he could get a mistraw. And defense did not bite on that. Our so producer
2: is Rich is our producer Rich is nodding his his head. Uh, in a very you know, this is very very interesting. I I I think it is. I thought it was fascinating. Joe, do you ever that anything like that ever crossed your mind? I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting theory.
3: Yeah, and I'd seen that before, and that, that I thought that was a real good theory because uh, you can't explain that because obviously the guy, the prosecutor was not a rookie. He was not a beginner. He knew better than that. I think the judge even said that that you know you know better than to be doing these things and uh that was yeah you know, i'd heard that was a theory before too they were going for the mistrial
2: so alan do you think the judge well it sounds like the do you think the judge was well aware he knew exactly what this guy was trying to do and do you think the judge handled it well
6: oh yeah uh, both i think the judge handled it very well um he wasn't going to do a mis- it's like we're not going to do this over again this is ridiculous um this guy and and through the testimony that came out in the, go- in the government's case in chief The state's case in chief, you could see that um, this is a guy who lawfully defended himself. I mean, he wasn't the instigator of this. He was leaving. The crowd followed him. All those things that point in the direction of he wasn't the instigator of the situation. He was simply someone who was leaving. They just said, hey, we can take the kid out. So that kind of came out through the testimony. I didn't watch every day like like many people did because, you know, I have a job and I'm running around doing things. But I did look at highlights, and um, it's evident that the judge um, had lost patience with the prosecutor. He didn't enjoy the system, and he felt that in his heart that, that Kyle was uh, innocent and,
2: now, so, and you think it's just as simple the prosecutor just thought, "Yeah, you know what, let's scrap this, try again a second time. maybe we'll do better?" Or do you think there was, is there any other you know motivation? Is, 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 would he you know made more money or is he going to be able to write a book because of it, or he wanted more fame or, or no, he just simply he, he thought, nah we're, we're not doing well, let's try again."
6: Ask anybody that's associated with any high-level case whether they're going to write a book or not. Uh, we have to leave that one alone. But usually you write them if you win, right? Um, <laughs> OJ is the only one where you get to write a lot of books if you lose. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, a, prosecu- a prosecutor is not going to make any more money regardless of the outcome. The only way they're going to make extra money is to leave the prosecution's office, leave the state's office, and then uh, become a civilian attorney, and then you know, write a book deal or do whatever else. The typical prosecutor, though, I mean, if you look at across the country, the typical prosecutor is a graduate from uh, law school, and they become a prosecutor right away. It's not like they go do other things and then become a prosecutor. Typically, in most states that I've been in, and it's about 20 now, uh, the prosecutor uh, graduates from law school, gets a job at the DA's office because they did really well. They're very selective about these sort of folks that they bring in, and they have, like, zero-life experiences, And all their experiences are brought in the next three to five years that they're at the DA's office. Um, A prosecutor does not normally stay more than five years at a DA's office. Mm. And they do that for a variety of reasons. Um, Sometimes they leave because there's a new election and there's a new DA. And like in the state of Texas, you can fire everybody who's there and rehire everybody else, you know, and and get your own crew in there. So every political election, every four years or so, you could have all new prosecutors. Now, the lower level prosecutors, doesn't really affect if you're only there a year or two and you're not you know promoting or trying to get somebody to defeat your boss um you can stay but um, those who've been there five ten fifteen years are up on the chopping block at the new da's it's, so it's a whole it's, political you know, thing DAs. now yeah, it can be it, it, not all states but a lot of them yes
2: now we have we have a, a a guy who's running for sheriff who is uh he was actually a prosecutor for the city attorney in san diego they have certain ability to to prosecute on uh uh, non-felony and and some other things and he is right. a huge proponent of gun violence restraining orders do you want to touch on gun violence restraining orders and tell me what you guys think of them well you know are there problems do you love them do you hate them uh, what, what are your thoughts on gun violence restraining orders
6: anything that is an inhibition against someone's ability to defend themselves i'm highly against okay but, but let's talk a little bit about that um 18 U.S.C., so 18 United States Code 922G basically talks about folks who are not allowed to have firearms. And so if you're not allowed to have a firearm, you're not allowed to purchase them, and then you're not allowed to have them if you meet certain criteria. And some of them we talk about all the time, you know, crime punishable by a term exceeding one year, so you're convicted of a felony, basically, fugitive from justice, interference, uh, addicted to a controlled substance, a mental defect, you know, there's a whole list Illegal here in the U.S., dishonorable discharge, et cetera, et cetera get down to about the ninth one that says, oh, misdemeanor crime of domestic violence. All right? So a few years ago, um, I'm dating myself because I've been doing this 35 years, but so maybe 20 years ago, we started looking at um, victims of domestic violence. And we said, well, maybe there's something we can do about this. You'll see people that um, – who are firearms owners, but, I mean – a lot of people on firearms oh. who um, may or may not be or brandy. Somebody who's a domestic
2: violence person. Alan, I'll tell you what we want to let's let we want to have you wrap it up on the other side of the of the break. Is that okay? That
6: sounds great.
1: All right, sit tight. All right, folks. Hey, this is Gun Owners Radio FM
0: ninety six one AM eleven seventy. The answer. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego.
1: All right, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio FM 961, AM 1170.
0: The answer.
1: All right, hey folks, PRMI Mortgage. Man, I tell you, if you're in the military and if you're looking for help for a VA loan, if I got the guy for you. I mean, the, I mean, Chris is absolutely amazing. If you're looking to refi, buy, maybe you're considering a reverse mortgage, just give our guy a call. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris has been helping local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. Give Chris Wiley a call at 619-722-1303 or just go to primeres.com slash alpine. Okay, we're
2: talking to Alan Chandler, who's an attorney, and he's with Lone Star Firearm Defense. Um, uh, and we were just talking about gun violence restraining orders when we went to break so let, let's let's take a step back and talk a little bit more about uh, uh, let's kind of start from the beginning with gun violence restraining orders so you said you're against anything that prevents somebody from from defending themselves so right did I, did I paraphrase that okay
6: it does okay but let's um, let's define it for folks a lot of people don't really understand what is a gun violence restraining order right? It's a, it's a court order that prohibits somebody from having a gun, ammo, or, or magazines, you know, how you store it, right? So it, it's basically going to take, your away, uh, take away your right to defend yourself with your firearm. they are going to take all your firearms. <laughs> um, a gun violence restraining order says you can't possess a gun, ammo, magazines. You can't buy a gun, ammo, or magazines. And any you have, you have to turn in your guns, ammo, and magazines to the police. Or in some cases, they're like, we're going to have you sell them a store or a licensed gun dealer, or, um, you can actually go to a range and you can, or a licensed store or gun dealer, and you can, um, you can basically put them away that you can't have contact with them, but maybe later when the restraining order is lifted, you can get that. But when California talks about it, they don't talk about temporarily giving up your weapons. They want you to either sell it or, um you know, dispose of them.
2: And, and, and that, who, and, makes, and the people that can issue, the people that can initiate, is that the right, tell me if I'm using the right yeah. terminology, but the people that can make one of these gun violence restraining orders happen is part of the problem. It can be your neighbor, your, your coworker, your, your kid's, you know, school teacher. It's, it's pretty wide open, right?
6: Correct. The whole idea initially was, hey, you've got somebody in a domestic violence situation, for example, a husband and a wife, and uh, one of them has a gun and is angry enough about the situation that they're going to come gun down the other the spouse. And so it's like, oh, we have to to satisfy that. Well, there are already laws in place that take care of that. You know, I just talked about how you can't have a gun if you've got all these disorders, right? Or if you're a felon or, you know, so there's nine things under 18 U.S.C., 922G, the federal, and then the state also has the same rules. Like, you know, we're going to follow the feds and we're going to also maybe create a few of our own. But the bottom line is we've already got rules that can take that away. You don't need an additional rule like the, these gun violence restraining orders to take guns away from folks. And like you said, anybody. I can call up. If I'm a registered nurse in certain states, I can actually have you committed for 72 hours without even you um, doing anything about it. They'll let come out, commit you, and at the end of 72 hours you get a, a quick hearing to decide if they want to keep you. Well, this is kind of in that same vein, um, it, except it's going to be a lot longer than that. You have to get a court order. So somebody's got to initiate the process, and then the court's got to review it. Right, so that that also sounds like it's pretty good. The court's going to review it, but the problem is anybody can do it. So initially, the first step is before the court can review it, they're going to take them, and once taken, then you got to fight pretty much to get it. back. And that's not how it works in America. And, th- and that
2: is the that's the second important point. The first is that any old you know any old jerky can initiate this thing. Anybody that's got a bone to pick. Anybody that's mad at you. Anybody that's you know, disagrees with you politically. Anybody can initiate this thing. The second bad part is that your guns, your property, your your self defense gets taken away before you go to court. Correct. So it's and, due um, process is after they take everything and then you go through right. due process.
6: Right, and I can tell you by defending folks who have um, defended themselves with firearms. And once the state gets a hold of your weapon, they're reticent to give it back. So even if they clear you, they're like, "Well, you know, you didn't do it. You did it." in self-defense or whatever else, we're still going to give you your weapon back. We're going to destroy it. And so that's a real problem, particularly if you invest a lot of money in firearms. But the way they do it is what's insidious, right? They don't say you're violent. They put out there are ways to prevent gun violence. This is one of our ways to prevent gun violence. Well, it's not the gun that's doing the violence, right? If you've got a violent individual, there are, cri- there are crimes and penalties and laws that will do something with that potentially violent individual, right? Um, they'll argue, oh well it happens after the fact. Well you can identify up front, you know, if there are people who have issues and you don't have to go in the middle of the night or early in the morning, two o'clock and raid the house and take all the weapons and then send the guy to court to have to try to get them back. That's ridiculous. It's not preventing gun violence because guns don't commit violence. It's the person. So that that's my first two takes on it. The other thing that I don't like and I'm seeing across the the country are people who they'll take their kids for example into get them treated or you go to the hospital for whatever, and you fill out these forms, and on the form it says, does mommy and daddy have a gun at their house? Okay? Yeah. So doctors, dentists, and people, they're starting to be very intrusive and trying to find out, you know, who has a gun, where they have them, and those kind of things. So California is very intrusive in this particular situation. I don't like gun violence restraining orders. I do like restraining orders in a certain situation, but it doesn't mean you take all your weapons first.
2: Well, part of the part of the one of the things I'm I'm pointing out, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. You're 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 smarter than I am. You're an attorney. Um, you, you stayed at a Holiday you're Inn very Express smart last night. You you're know. Very smart <laughs> I listen. I get I get by on my good looks. We all know that. I mean, it's just you know. Let's just admit it. But Alan. It's
1: not a rumor. Alan, not a rumor. Alan, he likes yeah. spaghetti from Denny's. I do. I do.
6: Who doesn't? <laughs> Jeez there Louise!
2: Finally, an ally. <laughs> Come so, on, and
6: that's nectar of the gods.
2: Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, but one of the uh, um, one of the problems is when they first came up with this idea, to, you know, to pass this law to invent gun violence restraining orders. They they said, look, we're only going to use these in specialized cases. You know, this is just going to be a preventative measure in certain situations. Blah 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 blah. And now it's standard practice in. Many, many, many departments. So no matter if if there's a need for a gun violence restraining order or not, they just issue them. How do you get rid of it? How do we get rid of gun violence restraining orders? Yeah. Well, we'd have to undo the law. we have to get the right people elected and and say, hey, you know what? We're getting rid of this law. But it could be done. Absolutely. And that's that's a goal of
6: ours. Yep. No, no. It's it's real important not to have these kind of things. There's so many other – like I said, there's so many other laws in place that take – that can handle these types of situations. They have to create a law on top of a law on top of a law. Because like Michael just said, and he's accurate in this. So that's another reason why we know he's very, very smart. But once you start heading down the slippery slope, then it's like, oh, well, the gun commits violence. Let's just take away the guns at all. You know? Now we don't need necessarily a gun restraining order. We can just say, well, we don't like our neighbor, and you know, he worries me. Um, yeah. So let's just take whatever he has. And, and then where do we stop? You want going to take the kitchen knives away from somebody? going to take away your uh, car well you can't drive you might plow that into your spouse or something Hmm. um i mean if there's a way to injure someone there are a lot of creative ways
3: to do that you don't need firearms anyway i'm sorry getting on a roll no you're good that was was great this is joe um yeah quick question you were talking about uh you know california being uh much more intrusive which we all know that now um but there's a legislator up there i want to say pantolino was that the guy's name that's uh, coming out with legislation to uh, require parents to report gun ownership to schools and school boards uh, if they have their kids in school. Have you run into that, or have you heard about that one?
6: We've not had that um, in Texas, and I'm just new to some of these uh, wonderful things you guys are doing in California. I am a California, Texas attorney, but I I live in in Texas right now.
3: Yeah, and that kind of thing— Well, go ahead. Go ahead. They, I was going to say that kind of thing too is like you're saying. Once you you know you force people to disclose this stuff, now again is you're you're becoming ripe for the gun violence restraining order or whatever because you know there's there's no reason for people to know that information yet. In California, we see this over and over again where they um, they try to do that. Um, you know there was another one uh, just passed recently. Um, you know, where they're going to release that kind of information to researchers. And, you know, that's going to get right. spread out there all over the place, too.
6: No, it's ridiculous. Uh, okay, I'll give you a quick anecdote if you have time for it. Um, we had uh, kids come over to the house to stay with my son when he was 10 or, or 12 years old. And um, we're in Texas, and we're in uh, the Dallas area. And everybody has, typically everybody has a firearm, right? But they're locked up around kids. Um, every hour, the kid's mother was calling. And saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, and so finally we're like, why Why are you calling? He's like, well, uh, the son says, why are you calling? Well, Mr. Chandler uh, does a lot of things with guns. Oh, geez. That's Texas. And then we go like, where are you guys coming from? We just moved here from California. I'm <laughs> <Ta-da! laughs> like, great. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Now, the guns are locked up around kids. and make sure everybody knows what safeties are and those type of things. I mean, it's about educating people. That's, that's why I like what you guys are doing on the radio. There you
1: educating- go. What, no. give your website, Alan. About it. What's yeah, your- give out your website, because we gotta go.
6: Lone Star Firearm All right. Lone need- Star Firearm You guys have a wonderful evening. And you Thanks need to get, nice get a showing.
1: you need to get a radio show. But that's another story. Y'all okay, take care. All, All right, on. buddy. Mm-hmm. Hey this is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM eleven seventy.
0: The answer.
1: Hey, okay, welcome back. This is Gut Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170.
2: The, the answer. Episode. Friend of the
1: show, John Petrolino is next. But first, clean and lube, protect your guns faster and easier with CL1. CL1 CLP Plus is also natural, non-toxic, environmentally friendly, and if you're tired of smelling like a gas station after cleaning your gun, you need to try Seal One. Ask for it by name at your local gun shop. If they don't have it, ask them why. Clean your gun faster and better with Seal One. Action
2: Jackson, do you know my my buddy, John Petrolino? Do you know that guy yet?
0: I I will you, you, right now. <laughs>
2: That's exactly right. You don't read his column yet? And I so he's a he's a Second Amendment author. So he writes a bunch of stories about the Second Amendment and what's going on in different court cases. And he's a Merchant Marine, and uh, he's a he's an awesome guy. He's a really good. He's an author. He wrote a book on how to uh, on, on like a, like basic firearms. It's almost like a, like a manual, like a firearms manual. Like how do you how do you shoot a gun? What's the difference between a revolver and everything? It's kind of neat.
0: I have to catch up on these books.
2: I know, right? So John Petrolino is our guest. How are you, my friend?
5: Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello, Joe, Dave, Action Jackson, everybody. Hello.
3: Hey, hey, hey. Hey, good to have you back, John. Did you bring Charlie with you? I thought Charlie was going to be here today.
5: <laughs> I did not bring Charlie, um, but he is tuning in right now. Right. So we could give Charlie a big old shout out.
2: Now, John, I, I heard a rumor about you and Charlie.
5: <laughs> well, a lot of people talk about <laughs> me and Charlie.: we're No, no, here. no,
2: that's not not that rumor. I heard that uh, I heard that you two were going to come out to uh, gun prom this year. Is that accurate?
5: what um, what I can say right now is there is going to be a planning board meeting on Tuesday <laughs> evening with me, Charlie, and Mrs. Petrolino, yeah. ironing out the finer details about this trip to California that we'll be trying to pull off.
2: Joe, I, I, have this, I have this image of the two of them in, like, this wacky, mm-hmm. you know, uh, road trip, you know, where, you know, hilarity ensues, and I don't know, maybe they have to save a, a, a town oh, in trouble a, on the way or something.
3: It's a four-day-long <laughs> Charlie video. It would be great. In an
2: 87 Buick <laughs> estate wagon. Exactly. Well, that's on day one, but then no. that breaks down, <laughs> then they got to go with, like, some kind of, you know, like a— They got to uh, go in an airplane gotta, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. pay extra
1: to go faster. Exactly.
3: Well, I hope they make it out here, because they're my only two celebrity subscribers on my Get a Grip uh, site there. <laughs> Is that so. the only two you have? Two celebrities, yeah. Oh. More celebrities like I thought guys. all your people were celebrities. No, no, but you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on me now, because every time I try to write something, I, I break out into a sweat. like, God, John and Charlie are reading this? What am I going to do? <laughs> you got to up the, your game, Joe. It's a lot of pressure now did it didn't used to be. There you go,
5: Joe. You're nailing it, man. I wouldn't <laughs> even worry about it. You are nailing it. I, I dig the work. So everybody, uh, give Joe's work a, a, a read there. And what is it? Getagrip.substack.com. com.
3: That's the one. You say it better than I do. That's great.
5: Yeah, we, we got to get everybody out there reading Joe's stuff. It's it's good. I like it. So, so what do you got tonight for me, Michael? Well, I was. So how do you you know you
2: you? I really like what you write. You do a great job. Um, I uh, enjoy your, your, uh, your articles very, very much. And I think that you are, you, you, you're very thorough and, and not just in explaining, uh, the subject, but you get really, really down into like, you research the articles really, really well. Um, some of the articles are, you know, like you've written articles that I've been involved with and you were, you, you did better research than <laughs> I, I learned something about what, what, what I did. So from you, which was really amazing. Um, how do you, like, what do you, what, what do you decide? How do you decide which articles you write?
5: Oh, I mean, it's just, if a topic comes and hits me and I'm, you know, it's there for the taking, I, I just take it and run with it. I mean, there's this, it's really, um, you know, triaging out. So if there's a story that's been told five different times, like we're going to talk about another robbery or another yeah. shooting, uh, in Jersey. Okay. Yeah so that's kind of boring um you know it's worthy to to report on yes but um i think what you're talking about maybe some of the the uh the work revolving around say trying to get a concealed carry permit and um jurisdictions forcing you to get a psychological examination yeah up in
2: marietta It's up in marietta and riverside right
5: Right. So that was something that, you know, I took some time to write about and, and research. And, um, and and that's the kind of stuff I really like, because there's commentary and I don't, you know, I, I enjoy writing commentary as well. But hard news like that, I mean, is, uh, you know, where I really like to, to dig in. So I actually have some stuff, uh, you know, coming up, I hope. I hope to get the green light in a, you know in a couple of days to talk about um, a former court case
7: mm.
5: and uh, maybe this individual taking a different um, approach to how he handles his problem uh, but we'll see about that and uh also irons that uh have already put in the fire was uh recently talking about the um the j factor Concealed carry case in New Jersey—that's something that I wrote about. That was, you know, hard news. And uh, well, you
2: did a really we'll good see. job with our with this guy Hammerling that we we keep talking about—the guy that wants to run for sheriff here in San Diego. I mean, you you knocked that out of the park too.
5: John Hammerling, yes. And here's the thing: his one of his cohorts wrote an article saying that Michael Schwartz blindsided him. Well, here's the thing: I didn't blindside Hammerling. I sent Hammerling emails. And he had all the time in the world to think about how he wanted to speak for himself. And he, you know, gave me his responses. So they can poo-poo as much as they want about him being blindsided. They should be well aware now that gun owners do not appreciate the tactics of which he tries to employ upon the population.
2: Well, none of that, but, you know, I don't think I've said this on the air yet, but, you know, I didn't blindside him. I actually told him... I I told a go between. They said, Hey, I heard he's coming on the radio, whatever. And I said, Yeah, you need to tell him that we're going to, we're really going to hold him accountable for this, the gun violence restraining order stuff. And he said, Okay, you know, I'll talk to him. And I actually got confirmation that he knew coming in that we were going to hit him hard on the gun violence restraining order thing. And honestly, I didn't intend for that interview to be as hard hitting until he just completely fell apart. He couldn't answer the most basic of questions. And I thought, Okay, I'm going for the jugular. Um, so, in no way did I did I ambush him or blindside him or anything. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen when we came on.
0: And he's he, a, and he oh by the way
2: shocked. And oh by the way, he's a prosecutor. Like if if I can blindside a prosecutor and take his pants down and spank him that hard, you're not really a great prosecutor. So you know, being blindsided. By the way, that guy that wrote that article is 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 uh, a buddy he he went to law school with. So it's not like it's it's nobody that has any kind of credibility.
5: Right, you know, and, and I saw that, and you know the thing that bothers me about Hammerling you know even further is he was given the opportunity to speak for all this, and the the word or the the phrase "ex parte is mentioned I don't know forty something times in the statute and the explanation of the law, and he has the audacity to tell all of us and all of your listeners and everybody that's willing to listen to him that these hearings don't necessarily happen um, with the people not present, that they're always present, and that's wrong. They they have ex parte, and uh, people are blindsided, and when they find out about them is when the police show up and say, give me your guns. And for him to be a a barrister or a lawyer uh, and and to sit there and, and, and lie to us like that and say that, there's no such thing as ex parte with these things. I mean, come on. I mean, that's my opinion, Michael. Um, y- you know? Wait, that's four I, I times just, now. Well, what? Yeah.
1: Four <laughs> times? The what? Four times we tromped this guy.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, and the show's not even over. Well, I got to <laughs> tell you, this is – but this is – we were talking about the media at the beginning, and then we had uh, Masada Yub, and we talked about the media with him a little bit. And this is the type of thing – this is why uh, quality media is important because you have gone uh, guys like – Uh, hammerling that are are given false information and they're you know biased and everything and and if you're a good journalist like like john john petrolino who we're talking to here you know you're holding him accountable saying hey wait a minute This, this doesn't make doesn't make any sense what you're saying doesn't add up what you're saying isn't true and that's why this stuff's important you know i mean obviously john's got a bias john's the second amendment guy but um he's uncovering real facts you know he's he's making sure that you know, to hold
1: people accountable when they make statements. Well, John says when it's right, it's right. When it's wrong, it's wrong. I agree with that. Right. Right, Generally John. Generally
5: speaking, I will. Well, <laughs> yes, I will.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you may not even agree with why. it. You may not even agree with it, but you'll still go the route of what's right.
5: Yeah. Yes. And I'm not going to. And again, and I just had this conversation earlier today. I said, you know, I just as long as I keep going forward and I do my absolute best and right. I do diligence to not do something that's wrong or immoral or fabrication mm-hmm. of the truth. That's right. it, you know? Perfect. And that's all we can do, you know?
2: Well, and I, I think it's, uh, I just appreciate all, everything that you do. I appreciate the job you did on that very, very much. I think it's shocking. Um, and I think it's important that people across the country see, you know, a a Republican pro-gun candidate who is not pro gun? Yeah. I, I think there's this stereotype. You put an arm in front of somebody's name, and t- far too many people across the country just make assumptions that they're they're good on guns and they believe every word they say. But here we have a quote unquote pro gun, uh, quote unquote Republican who's running for sheriff, and, 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 and nobody's you know and no, nobody nobody should make, calling him out. Nobody should make the mistake that this guy's pro gun. Right. You know what I mean? How much did you get much? What kind of feedback did you get on that article?
5: Um, a lot of you know a lot of people see California and they just roll their eyes, you know, yeah. and they're like that's typical. Um, I will note that I did reach out to the San Diego County Republicans and they declined to respond to my correspondence, and I asked them for a position statement on candidates that support red flag laws, and I asked them for a position statement on concealed carry, and I did name Hemmerling, I believe by name, in this email. And they declined to to, to comment. And uh, those two individuals are named in the article. I don't remember, you know, those guys' names. But wow, what a, what a
2: bunch out. of cowards. Okay, so listen, and, the theme for the month is first contact. So when we get back, we want to ask John Petrolino, we want to ask you what your best advice to people that are interested in learning, uh, what's your best advice for them. So when we get back from the commercial, that's what we're going to talk about. All right, folks, this is Gun
1: Owners Radio, FM 96.1 AM
0: 1170. The answer
1: Folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961,
0: AM 1170. The
1: answer. Hey, we are very proud to partner with the National Concealed Carry Association as a 10-ring partner. NCCA exists to serve the Second Amendment community by providing a nationwide network of 2A advocates. They offer elite self-defense and concealed carry training from the nation's top instructors. They also provide rock bottom prices on the best selection of gear and accessories. Join them today. Members get free price get great prices and free shipping. You can learn a whole lot more by just going to National Concealed Carry Association.com. All right, we're talking
2: to our guest John Petrolino, who's an author and uh, gentleman and scholar and fine judge of Scotch and possible attendee of Gun Prom <laughs> in June 18th this year um we were talking about so you're an author i love your book what's the name of your book
5: it's called decoding firearms
2: and how would you describe it
5: it's uh as the subtitle says it's an easy easy to read guide on uh general gun safety and use so it is a i'm not going to say fully comprehensive like everything that you need to know is in there but it is 266 pages of content to get you up on your feet and rolling uh, prior to or while you're on your journey to becoming a shootist.
2: If you're if you're new into shooting, and I would highly recommend this book. If you are um, kind of a novice and you've had a little bit of training, I would recommend this book to see, you know, see if there are any holes that that, that didn't, you know, fill in any holes that were that were left in your training. And then if you're advanced, I would recommend this book. As kind of a, a model on how to talk to other people and how to train other people, um, you know, I, I really think this book's good for everybody. I think if you're a gun owner of any any level um, and have any any kind of passion towards uh, teaching or learning when it comes to firearms, I, I truly truly be, believe you need to buy this book. Where do they buy it, John?
5: You can get it off of Amazon. Um, from there, uh, also at the uh, Gun for Hire Range in Woodland Park. Uh, new Jersey, they sell it online through their e-commerce store if you don't want to buy from Amazon. Um, and if you're looking for information just on it, you want to read about it, you can read about it on my website, which you can go to at www.thepenpatriot.com I have a new URL, Mike. Nice. Yep, I got that moniker um, from... John Green, who is the head of training and gun owners action league. He referred to me as the Pen Patriot, and I just took it and ran with it and it's sticking.
2: I like that. The Pen Patriot. T H E P E N Patriot. The Pen Patriot. Nice. I like that. Um okay, so our, our theme for the month on the show is First Contact. And we're not talking about the wasn't that a Jody Foster movie? First <laughs> <It> Contact. <was. laughs> That's yeah. not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that movie. Um, we're talking about basically if you, you, as a gun owner, um, talking to somebody who's not a gun owner. that's, you know, your first contact with somebody who's not a gun owner. you're trying to turn them into a gun owner. Maybe they want to become a gun owner. Um, what's your best advice? you you wrote uh, what I think is the definitive book when it comes to, to training manuals. Um, what's your best advice to people that are interested in learning and taking those first steps to learn about guns and potentially owning one? What's your best advice?
5: Well, I would see, um, first you have to ask that person, uh, are they apprehensive? You know, some people have some some real fears. They're interested, they're intrigued, but they're incredibly apprehensive because my gut reaction first thing is always to say, hey, you need to get out there, go get a class, go get training. And that might not 100% be right, right away. The first thing for some people might be to just take them to the range point them at the target and let them shoot a couple of shots and send them on their way to just give them that, that taste on their lips. Um, Because if they're apprehensive the whole time that you're trying to teach them or talk to them about the material, they might be preoccupied with some sort of a a fear base. Um, So what you need to know is know who you're talking to, know your audience, read the room
2: I agree. Um, I think that's excellent advice. And on, on top of that, kind of the uh who's the guy joe who's the the wolf of wall street guy what was that guy's name jordan not not jordan peterson I'm thinking of gordon gecko right no not that guy <laughs> who, who, who am i thinking of john jordan
3: i know leo DiCaprio. Know who that's t- who you're thinking of. yeah yeah exactly
5: belf belford need a wrecking ball right <laughs> right right
2: so he did this thing where like you know hey sell me a pen and what he was trying to do was he was looking for people who would, uh, would ask, like, well, you know, how long have you been in the market for a pen? What are you going to use a pen for? What kind of things do you need for a pen? He was looking for people that would kind of peel back the, uh, the layers of the onion to find out, like, hey, what you know, what are your needs? And I think that's important, too. Um, are people buying a gun because, for, you know, for defense or a hobby or hunting or, you know, what's their motivation? Because I think too often if we assign motivation to them, if we say, oh, you know, get this gun because it's good for concealing – well, maybe they don't want to carry. Maybe that's not where they're at, you know, and that can so easily intimidate and scare people away from buying the gun that they really, really want. But getting to know your uh, your audience is excellent advice.
5: Right. And, you know, and again, it's taken me a while to really develop, you know, that attitude. Like, it seems it's like a no-brainer though. That's the thing. Because um, originally, you know, I'm very training oriented. It's like, you got to train, you got to train. But maybe an eight hour class or a four hour class might not be right for somebody's first go at just being exposed to this. Now you've seen it, you know, like the person that does, once they have that on their mind, they're in it, you know, and they're taking classes and they're watching the YouTube videos. And that's what some of my other advice might be is finding quality content from quality content creators, whether it's written or it's um, on video online, and it's a very good way to learn, right?
2: I agree. I 100 percent agree. How much do, do you do? A lot of training, um, you, or you know, do you train? Do you do, you do a lot of classes
5: anymore, or you? Uh, I I do. I do primarily one on one or you know two on one training uh, with people back home is what, what I'm generally doing. So I do when I have when I have people that want to train, I, I absolutely do do classes. Usually a couple of months. It's not like I have the John Petrolino Firearms Training Academy. Um, I don't, that's my, you know, one of my side hustles, you know, is training. Um, I've been doing it for a while though, and uh, you know, I enjoy it. I like working with people.
2: Now, we have a big, uh, how big is, I, I think it's huge, the, um, uh, the the case, the New York case, the carry case is enormous. Um, how much is that, you know, what, what do you, how do you, how do you prepare for that? You know, as, as, as an author, as someone that's, you know, trying to get some, some good material out there, you know, what do you anticipate as far as, uh, some of your writing and, and, and relation to the carry case coming out of New York?
5: Some of my writing, I'm going to be writing an application to get a concealed carry permit in the state of New Jersey, Michael. That's what I'm going to be like. <laughs> 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 um, can you imagine, you know, can you imagine that? so yeah exactly it's crazy um and that's where san diego was in the peruta days really if you look at it yeah um so um to really wrap my head around this and writing and here's the thing they've gone apoplectic already um so the reporting is the sky is falling and the court is compromised and all these things and you've listened to to the to the case you've listened to it i know you have i have um most, even some of your left of it. center justices asked very pointed questions that said, basically points you in the direction to say yes this is a constitutional right and if we were to compare this to say speech it would be abhor- abhorrent to, to treat it the same way um so as far as as writing it's just been um actually the, the cup runneth over with just plenty of uh, material to to combat and that's really what it is right now is is uh retorting towards uh really bad reporting
3: so john hey do you um if we get a good ruling out of the supreme court here on this case mm-hmm. um do you see new jersey looking at it and saying "Well, okay the the supreme court has ruled on this we're gonna go along we're gonna do the right thing we're gonna start issuing doing that kind of stuff." Or do you see them taking the other direction, where okay, we're we're going to make it as difficult as possible for people to do this? You know, uh, depending on what the ruling is or how they come out.
5: I think they're going to do uh, make it as a, they're going to make it as difficult as possible, and probably change carry laws where you can't carry within a thousand feet of a mailbox, and you can't carry within thousand feet of a light bulb. And that's like all of New Jersey. Like you've got it all covered except for like the Pine Barrens, you know, Um, (laughs) I could see them making some laws that would uh, be very obstructionist. Uh, You know, I think there was a rumor that New York was looking to outlaw and I tried to find this information and I might've misspoke um, elsewhere talking about this, but I believe New York, there was somebody considering, you know, uh, making laws where you can't carry on public transportation, including Uber and Lyft. Uh, but don't hold my feet to that. I haven't, I haven't confirmed that, but that was something I had heard from somebody. Um, but on the other side of the coin is there's rumors that New York's also hiring like 40-something more officers or something like that to process carry permits because I think they know it's coming.
1: Well, who's following the laws anyway? No one follows laws anymore.
3: Well nobody well, power I, follows I mean, I, follow right. the laws. We follow the laws. <laughs> well, I mean uh, yeah. <laughs> You know what
1: I'm saying? If they don't want to follow the law, even if it comes down from the Supreme Court, these states are just saying, Yeah, we're just gonna ignore it. We're not gonna pay any attention to that.
5: And that's that's a possibility too, and we're gonna have to just cross that bridge when right. we come to it. I right. don't know. You know, I mean this is this is gonna be historic. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and the sky hasn't fallen in all these other jurisdictions that have gotten uh, permitless carry or, or anything like that. And, 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 a, and a claim that something that Cam Edwards brings up on the regular is of all the states that have gone and loosened up the restrictions on carry and have gone permitless or, you know, made it easier to carry for normal law abiding citizens. None of them have turned around and said, well, we've got to reverse this. Yeah, they're all like full steam ahead. They're
2: all proud. I know it, it's worked out in every situation, including in some of the smaller jurisdictions in, in states like California, like Orange County. You know, uh, it went from I don't know in, in like uh, in just a few years they went from like like a thousand to I think they're up to about thirty thousand permits. Um, you know, Riverside issued uh, ten thousand permits over the last couple of years. Um, in every situation it's worked out tremendously you know there's it's they've literally lost there's they have no ground to stand on anymore in any way it's amazing Mm -hmm. john how do people find you man
5: you can check me out again at thepenpatriot.com i'm also on facebook forward slash thepenpatriot i'm on instagram at jpetrolino iii and twitter at john petrolino so uh, look me up if you guys got some news tips. Find me and shoot me an email.
2: I didn't know you're on Instagram. I'm going to check you out right now.
1: All right, buddy. Hey, thanks a million. Always good talking to you, folks. You are listening to Gun Owners Radio FM ninety six one AM eleven seventy.
0: The answer.
1: Hey folks you enjoy that music that's all part of gun owners radio fm 961 am
0: 1170 the
1: answer all right well hey you know we live in a state where your self-defense rights are under attack so let us be your voice to help defend and restore the second amendment help spread the word about the fight go to the website subscribe to our newsletter Our content is suppressed on the major social media platforms, so we're not guaranteed to be able to keep our audience. If you get shut down, or if we get shut down, joining our newsletter allows you to stay in contact with us. So go to gunownersradio.com, that's gunownersradio.com, click on the Join the Gun Owners Radio newsletter button, and you might win a prize. All
2: right. It is time for everybody's favorite segment, stump my nephew. Every week, my nephew calls in, and we ask him a question he's never heard before. If you send us a question that has to do with gun trivia, we will, and we use it on the air. We'll send you a hat or a shirt, and if you stump my nephew, we'll give you a special prize. The last guy last week we stumped him, and uh, it was a gentleman from Santee stumped him, and he got a couple tickets to Gun Prom, June eighteenth. So, if you uh, are interested in going to Gun Prom, either try to stump my nephew or go to gunprom.com. You can buy tickets and join us for the, the premier Second Amendment uh, event all year long. All right, Sam, you there?
8: Yeah, how are you guys?
2: Good, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We, I think we got a good question for you. Kind of a broad question, but I think uh, I think you'll be able. I think you'll nail it. So, without further ado, Action Jackson.
0: All right. Tim from Riverside asks, what caliber is the next generation squad weapon?
2: So what caliber is the next generation squad weapon?
8: What was that, Tim from Riverside? Yes. Mm-hmm. Thanks for writing in, Tim. Um, a little, uh, well, let me just answer the question first. 6.8 millimeter, now the background. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, um, ever since, well... Actually, even before the M16 had been adopted, uh, the Army was trying to figure out a new um, infantry rifle to replace the M16. The M16 was only supposed to be an interim solution. Um, and so the Army's latest attempt to replace now the M4, basically the same platform, is called the Next Generation Squad Weapon Program, NGSW. And they have been soliciting and testing proposals for a rifle and an automatic rifle from a a handful of different manufacturers and what the army specified in the NGSW requirements was that they wanted a high velocity 6.8 millimeter round and so um, I believe it was SIG, Textron and uh, General Dynamics, though two of those might have been working together. Um, were working on different proposals, and now it's been narrowed down to just SIG and uh, one other one.
2: So exactly, the 68 millimeter projectile was chosen after decades of testing and evaluation showed that 556 millimeter lethality at mid-ranges on the battlefield was inadequate, and existing 762 millimeter could be outperformed by the 68 millimeter round and save weight for the soldier or marine. The new caliber also gives the soldier, or Marine, both a rifle and automatic rifle firing the same round, both effective past 600 meter, the 600-meter mark of existing light calibers. So they're talking about, what, what exactly is a squad weapon? Are you able to define what a squad, what, what do they mean by that?
8: Um, they're talking about something that's going to be widely issued to uh, rifle squads. They're, they're They're using squad weapon to differentiate from... Um, some type of more specialty armament that you would find at like the uh, company level
2: so are they basically going back and and what are they doing are they just are they just redesigning like an AR style or AR platform or uh, AR pattern rifle and they're going to issue it to to uh you know marines and soldiers is that but but in 6.8 is that what we're talking about
8: well, as I said, there have been a few different proposals. Um the one Sig Sauer has submitted um is basically an adaptation of their MCX platform which is um similar in in some ways to the AR. Uh, the it, it's like a it's a similar It's a piston, design. right? Is it's a piston AR, isn't it? Yeah, it uses an external piston.
2: Rather than the blowback or whatever they, whatever you call it, what's the what do they call it?
8: People call it DI. Other people will yeah. say, "Well, actually, it's an internal piston." But if you say DI, everyone knows what you mean.
2: So rather than DI, it's piston, which is what they say. It's it's more more AK version. It's more. Uh, it's usually considered cleaner. It's a little more reliable, right?
8: Um, it uses a short stroke gas piston, unlike the AK. But um, it is. Uh, it runs cleaner. Runs cooler. Yeah. Um, it it has some advantages in certain situations.
2: So they're gonna, so they're gonna do a, a AR similar AR patterns or a pattern rifle that's six point eight millimeter. Go ahead, Joe.
3: So Sam, what led them to six point eight millimeter? Like I, I, just bought a six five millimeter uh, uh, Creedmoor rifle, but um, you know what? Did they start out looking specifically for that, or did they design right to that, or is that already available? How they get the six eight?
8: Well, there are a few different ways you can get to what caliber to use. You can, you can sort of start designing the round from uh, a number of different starting points. But as I understand it, the Army was chasing what they call overmatch, especially with regards to engagements in Afghanistan where the, the distances were very long. Um, and so there was this idea floated by um, really the, uh, the corporate side, the, the manufacturers, of this thing, this idea called overmatch, where um, they they were saying that the army needed something that could reach out farther um, and give them give U.S. soldiers and marines superior range over um, an enemy insurgent armed with something like a PKM. What's a PKM? Uh, it's a 7.62 by 54 uh, belt-fed machine gun. So the 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 idea of the 6.8 is that it'll be able to reach out far like a full power round, like a 7.62, um, but that it will have some weight and recoil savings uh, over something like a 7.62. Though the, the proposed 6.8 millimeter rounds, uh, at least from the specs on paper, look to be just about as powerful as a 7.62 NATO, so I'm curious as to uh, how they'll compare.
3: So that six eight millimeter round, then that's specific to this program. That wasn't that's not an existing round. It is, is right? yes. They were designed from the ground up.
2: Interesting. That's good stuff. Well, it looks like uh, someone gets a shirt or a hat, but they don't get uh, tickets to gun prom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. good job, Sam. Nice job. As Thank always. You. So we were so um, uh, interested in what uh, Alan Chandler was saying with uh, gun and stringers that we. We skipped right over Joe, and so we wanted to circle back. Joe, what do you got coming up for us?
3: So, and that was okay. That was a good. um was the good. Thing that Alan was talking about, yeah, is a, is a hot subject nowadays, and I, I was actually really interested in hearing the rest of that. <laughs> so, uh, so it was good, but I didn't really get skipped over. It was, uh, it was more sacrifices. Sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, there good. you go. You
1: laid down for the but, cause. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, and uh, what I was going to talk about anyway, uh, and I'm still working on this article, but talking about. Uh, essentially tyranny the second amendment and government by consent and um, what i'm talking about is in you know in our country uh... the way it's supposed to be is we have government by consent of the people in other words we you know we choose these people to represent us we send them to sacramento we send them to washington and then we agree we consent to be governed by them and we consent to follow their rules and the question um that I'm gonna deal with in the article is, is it still government by consent if the people no longer have the ability to say no? So in other words, am I, am I still giving consent if that's my only choice is to consent? I don't have the ability to, to say no. And tying the second amendment into that, the second amendment is, is essentially the ultimate ability of the people to say no to that. So um, that was gonna be the gist, or that will be the gist of the article here. And, you know, just looking at what's going on, say, in Canada right now with the, uh, you know, you have the the truckers protest and then the extreme response from the Trudeau government. And uh, and that's really pretty, pretty extreme what they're doing. It's essentially declaring martial law up there. Their rules are a little bit different. Their government's a little bit different than what we have down here. But essentially, you know, when you're talking about um, going after, and those are really peaceful protesters. Those aren't, those aren't mostly peaceful protesters like the BLM guys and the Antifa people. They're
2: actual peaceful protesters. Yes,
3: but then if you've seen some of the uh, video coming out of there, I don't know if you saw the uh, the elderly woman get in the walker get trampled by the horses. Yeah. Uh, by the police. Yeah, and, but they
1: said somebody threw a bicycle at the horse.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, that's. An, I didn't
1: see that, but they said.
3: That. And again, no, I, I just watched it a little while ago, and it's like, okay, is that really the response? I mean, these people really aren't. They're protesting. Uh finally, after two years of having their rights just completely trashed, like it, like you've seen all over the world, really, it's not just here.
2: I think it's cool. It's like a, it's like an old 70s or early 80s movie, you know, where the truckers take over and they're all fed up and you have some weird, you know, some weird government bad guy, in this case played by uh, Trudeau or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, well, and then the scarier <laughs> part,
3: though, is when you start seizing funds, when you start telling yeah. people that, okay, if you support these people, we're going to freeze your bank accounts, we're going to zero it out. Scary. And we're going to euthanize
1: your dogs if you have them in the truck.
3: <laughs> well, and again, we're not that far away no. from that kind of stuff here. So anyway, that'll be the gist of the article here eventually the next couple of days on uh, on our site and on the uh, getagrip.substack.com site.
1: All right, folks, subscribe to our show on YouTube. And when you watch the video, make sure you hit the thumb up button. And please support all our great sponsors, San Diego County Gun Owners, U.S. Law Shield. The Dylan Law Group, PRMI Mortgage, Scott Vincent, Coldwell Banker, Royal Realty, Sage Sheet Web Development, National seal Carry, Seal One, and Michael Schwartz, Dave, not me, uh, Sam the Gunman, Action Jackson, Brendan Thomas, and Joe Jermisi, right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961
0: AM 1170. The Answer. The Answer.